Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will not give in to demands for a extended cut. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching, including The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. We've got some real news and our main review is Zack Snyder's Justice League, all four hours. No one can question our dedication to this podcast after that. No one. James, before we get to film and TV and all the usual, what's been going on with you? There was an ongoing discussion in my household about never leaving the car in the outside visitor spaces under the tree because it's a magnet for bird poo. I thought that had been put to bed over a year ago. Go and get my car out of the garage. One side of it completely covered, completely covered. It had been left out and then put back in the garage. I did what I could to wash most of it off, but some of the brown parts were so thick that even spraying them and giving it a wipe wouldn't get rid of them. I was so determined to get it off my car that I took my bird lime spray to Tesco sprayed it again when I got to the car park and then stood in the Tesco car park wiping bird poo off my car. It was a low point. It was a low point, but I did manage to get it all off. Don't look at it as a low point. For many people, that would be an experience out of the norm that breaks up the mundaneness of what the day-to-day is at the minute. I take that as an adventure, James. Thank you. People will have seen me washing my car, basically, in the Tesco car park. And thought, why? Why is he doing that? He should be at home watching content to review on his podcast. If anybody gets hold of CCTV footage of that car park, they'll see far worse than you cleaning your car. I wouldn't be too concerned. They will, actually, because on the northeast stairway, when we went up that the other day, there was a, a young man in his 20s stood in the stairway with his hood up surrounded by what looked like children's school bags. You know, the rucksacks. Yeah. I'm just trying to work out what was going on there. I I don't know. Maybe he's a serial fosterer and he was just waiting for all his kids to come out of school and then hand them all the rucksacks. No, they'd have the rucksacks at school. It doesn't matter. Um, I think that will remain a mystery, but I'm going to mull that over this evening. I'm perplexed. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know where we go from there. I don't know where we go from yeah. there. <laughs> Let's keep it safe. Shall we go with what we've been watching this week? Yes. James, what have you been watching? I've been watching The Falcon and The Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. Only the first episode, because of the time of recording, that's all that's out. As I suspected, watching the trailers, it's much more conventional than WandaVision. And initially I was like, "Mm, okay. But in many ways, it's a follow-on from Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, which is my favourite Marvel film. So that was a positive. It even starts with a jumping out of a plane action scene. Anthony Mackie, friend of the podcast, is good in his role as the Falcon. He seems to have turned up the I'm a normal guy from the South dial quite a bit for this. Sebastian Stan is also good. He's tortured and haunted. I know this is the opening episode of a six-part series, but it does seem to take a long time to make just two points. Number one, Falcon wants to help his family. We get three or four scenes to make that point. Number two, 
Winter Soldier is atoning for his sins, specifically with an elderly Japanese man. That gets three or four scenes. I think it will be good, but in a relatively formulaic way. Did you watch this as well, as it's the hot topic of streaming TV? Yes, I thought it's only right that we have an alternative take on a Disney show, because we didn't have that with WandaVision, although I'm sure yours is the opinion to listen to. But yeah, I thought I'll give this a go. Um, First off, terrible title, in my opinion. Do you not think? Bit lazy. Yes, it is lazy. It is lazy. What I'm interested to hear from you is your perspective as someone who's not as plugged into the Marvel CU as I am. Right. I feel like that was a bit of a diss, but I'll take it. Because it's correct. Um, I've got a really rudimentary knowledge of the whole Marvel universe. I've seen the majority, if not all, of the tentpole films. But I think when we went watching Endgame, I listed the Marvel films I haven't seen. And I think you were quite disgusted with me because there were some real offences in there, like I haven't seen Black Panther or Doctor Strange or many of the others, as I say. But I feel as though I have enough of an understanding as to who these characters are and what roles they played in the past films to appreciate where the stories are. And further to that, and it is hard to say because I do have that knowledge, but it not being too in-depth, would you agree that you don't need to be that invested in the MCU to enjoy this? Because I feel like they give you enough information for it to work in its own right. I think that is the case. I think you're right. They pepper in enough contextual lines that you can follow it. Yeah, definitely. And and these being lesser characters in the universe, and also because they've got so many people to play around with, especially in the Avengers films, it's quite nice to see them fleshed out especially falcon but with with more detail i do want to say and i don't know if you agree i think the action and cinematography in this feels quite cinematic you don't feel like they're stripping things back for a tv budget and i did appreciate that but another thing which without putting all my cards on the table about our main review today i really like the fact that this isn't all about the action it's not it's not the focus of the show it's not this really loud bombastic first episode that's just really frenetic and you know it takes time to explore its characters like you said and I did I did enjoy that a lot of the Marvel films for anyone who doesn't watch them might think oh that's a bit kiddified they're not they're not it's a very adult universe in many respects there's a lot of the things there for adults and I think this surprised me having been so long after watching Endgame to revisit and understand oh god this has got quite an adult tone to it as well it's quite dark in some aspects and it is violent i'm quite intrigued and i'm gonna see this one through i like what i've seen so far so yeah um being a bit out of the loop i still appreciated it for what it is very well said as always i think you're right about how it goes a bit more mature and explores the characters who would have guessed that a disney marvel tv program would have a scene of two people in a bank trying to get a loan. Yeah. Again, not leaning towards my thoughts on today's main review as well, this just solidified for me that my word to Marvel know what they're doing with this. It's so clear in the direction that they want to go and that they understand fundamentally how to make things good 
that it points out inconsistencies with other things, shall we say, and I'll leave it at that. Oh, you're teasing the later content to draw out the average listening time. I like it. <laughs> I have a wider point to make about this and WandaVision, so prepare your minds because I'm about to blow them. And spoilers for WandaVision, kind of. Are these series on Disney being done in a way that leaves the main character back where they started so that film-only viewers are not left out? Here's what I'm talking about. Scarlet Witch after Endgame is grieving and there's a sense that, hmm, we haven't seen her at her full power. At the end of Division, that's still more or less the case. It's an oversimplification, but yes. Falcon after Endgame gets the shield. He's the next Captain America. That's obviously where the Falcon and Winter Soldier is going. It's going to be Falcon reclaiming the shield from that guy with the punchable face. And it's going to end with him getting his red, white, and blue wing costume and having the shield. So you could skip these series and you'll still have a gist of where the character is. If my prediction about Falcon is correct. I mean, you've got me in two minds now because I'm half thinking, what is the point in me progressing and watching the rest of it? Because you've already outlined what is more than likely going to be the rest of the series. But I think it depends if the journey to get there is exciting enough and is full of intrigue and mystery and twists and turns then i'm think i'm willing to go with it still but i i agree with you i think it might be a convenient reset device maybe let's fly on to the next thing what else have you been watching let me just have a quick check because i don't want to make false claims here no it's true i've not watched anything murder related this week first off alan v farrow a sky documentary that is on now not now tv it's been rebranded it's called now And this was originally a HBO series, and it revisits the historical allegations of molestation that were levelled against much-loved filmmaker Woody Allen in the 90s. His then-actress wife, Mia Farrow, invited him into a life where she had these numerous adopted children from all around the world, one of which he famously then went on to marry, which is troublesome. He was in his 50s, she was in her 20s. I say it's troublesome, love is love. Whatever, we'll take that at first value. But as well as marrying a child that he used to be a father figure to, he also stands accused of molesting his adopted daughter, Dylan, who was seven at the time. And this documentary is a character assassination piece that aims to discredit Alan and throw him onto the ever-growing scrap heap that celebrity cancel culture has created. And you know what? If he's guilty of it, then good. I'm not a huge Woody Allen fan. I have seen more than a fair share of his films. In fact, I think we went watching Blue Jasmine together, didn't we? Am I remembering that correctly? We did. I remember it well with Kate Blanchett. Yeah, good film. She was in it. She wasn't watching it with us. (laughs) Glad that you're pointing that out. Um, he, He can make films, no doubt about that at all. But I'm not a fanboy and therefore... I didn't watch this with this deep love and appreciation for him. And because of that, I was gullible. I took very much everything that was laid out in front of me at first value. And I said, fair enough. That is fact. Of course it is. Which is exactly what the documentary makers wanted, I think. And 
the flip side of this is you only need to Google this series and tap on the news section and you'll see how many articles have been produced over the last few weeks. It's been blasted for being overwhelmingly biased and just presenting one side of the story. And that is without question, it's got an unwavering agenda, but I do think that it backs itself up in some ways that you can't really contest with it. It's It just is what it is. I'm not saying this is proven, but there's a lot of evidence to say, why would somebody make this up? Anyway, if you don't know the story, I've given you some background, but what Woody Allen did when he was accused of this, he, I don't know how he got away with it. He flipped this on its head and he said, no, Mia Farrow, she's just really deeply resentful. She's hell-bent on revenge and she's making this abuse allegation up. And everybody just went, okay, that's fine. You can continue in your life and make films forever and a day. We won't bring this up again. For what it's worth, I don't doubt Dylan Farrow's story for a second. I think she's telling the truth. And if she is, what I really appreciate about this documentary is it points out and observes the fact that how horrific is that for you to live with that for all your life and watch this man be celebrated and nobody take what you're saying with any seriousness. It's it's awful. Although it's one-sided, I do like the fact that she has a platform to discuss this and get her voice heard. Whether you believe it or not is a different matter. Whilst it's problematic, the presentation of the facts, you know, it is biased, but it's, ex it's executed really well. There's loads of archive home footage of Mia Farrow and her family throughout the period, and it lets you get a sense of what their home life was like and where this took place. There are recorded conversations between Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, none of which exposes anything new, evidence-wise, but it does give you an insight into how fractured their relationship was. And they also, because I believe he refused to be interviewed for this, they use excerpts from Woody Allen's autobiography, apropos of nothing, to give him a voice. He does respond in what he comes back with in his book, and they give you that just to say, oh, we've, we've presented a bit of a balance. They've not. So I think this is problematic, but I did find it morbidly fascinating. And I think it will make you rethink whether you'll watch another Woody Allen film, but whether that's a problem when nobody's found guilty of a crime or not, maybe, maybe it is, but I would recommend it. Is it a one documentary film or is it a series? Sorry, it's a four part series. They're about an hour long each episode. Alan V. Farrow on Now. Alan V. Farrow, Dawn of Nonces. <laughs> Keeping in with the Snyderverse theme of the episode. What else have you been watching? I've also watched Apple TV's new experimental series, Calls. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. C-A-L-L-S. That's the one. It's experimental in that it's almost an entirely audio-focused drama. So each episode presents you with various phone calls between two or three people and a drama unfolds. And they are, it would seem, unconnected events or episodes. The only visual addition to this presentation is that you get an array of different graphics or images that have little, if anything, to do with the story that's taking place. It could be either like an image of the sound levels of the call or it's a hypnotic pulsing circle on the screen. It adds nothing, absolutely nothing. And the only reason to not just plug your earphones in 
and shut your eyes is that I noticed in episode three, there's a difference in that there's a text message conversation going on at the same time. But other than that, that I've seen, it's just irrelevant. It's pointless. The other bigger issue with this in terms of like a visual accompaniment, or at least it was for me, is that all the dialogue that is spoken is presented on screen as it is said in the form of subtitles. Now, I've said before, I don't mind subtitles, but when it's in my native language, I don't want to have to concentrate on the words on the screen. I'd much rather just take it in through my ears. And this isn't like a toggle off kind of thing. You have no choice. And I just found it really distracting. And it took me out of what could have been quite an immersive experience. The episodes are really short in length. They range from like 12 to 20 minutes each. So it's a fairly quick watch. Uh, I think there's only nine episodes. The stories themselves, obviously, they're quite self-contained and short, but and I think it's hard to pack a lot of depth in there, but they are entertaining enough. I'm just really confused as to why this just hasn't been released as a podcast or audiobook. I don't know why they've decided to do this as a TV series. It just doesn't work. But I do admire Apple for taking a swing and they're trying to do something different, but I'm going to reserve my final opinion till I've finished it off because I've only seen two, uh, three episodes. I'm a bit lukewarm, but I've read a few reviews that say, actually, they draw all these stories together at the end, and I don't even know how they're going to do that. So, hmm, yes, I think that's a good verdict on this at the minute. Hmm. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, why was this not done as an audiobook? Are you aware of the all-star cast that is in it? Rosario Dawson's in it. I don't know who else lends the voice to this. Army Hammer, who we've got nothing to say about. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Aubrey Plaza, Karen Gillan, Lily Collins. Oh, wow. There's a lot of names in it. Pedro Pascal. Oh. It is very, it's well acted, from an audio perspective at least. So, I don't know. Maybe dip your toe in, see what you think. I think I will. For that length, 12 minutes, I'll have a look at that. James, surely Falcon and Winter Soldier wasn't the only thing on your list this week. What else have you watched? No, I also went on Apple TV and watched Billy Eilish, Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, the two-hour-plus documentary. You must have seen this highlighted on Apple TV while you were browsing. Yes, I have. I know nothing about Billy Eilish. Don't even know how to pronounce a surname, which is not a surname. It's a middle name. I've never heard any of the songs. It's a brilliant documentary. Going to come straight out with a full, sincere, unreserved recommendation right at the start. I'll tell you the style of it. There are no sit-down interviews or voiceovers. It's entirely fly-on-the-wall footage with her mother or father sometimes talking to the camera. It mostly takes place within Billy's home. Well, half in Billy's home, half when she's on tour. And the way it's shot draws you into the world and lets you see for yourself what an artist, and she is an artist, Billie Eilish is. I didn't realise that when it shows her recording in her brother's bedroom, that's them actually recording the album that you hear on Spotify. They're not doing samples, that's the album. Something that lurks under the surface is the fear of what dark path she might go on because she's so young and the industry is so dangerous. Katy Perry offers her friendship and it's obviously because she knows that all this could end very badly. There's a really nice scene where Billie Eilish meets Justin Bieber, her idol, and it's during a Ariana Grande live performance. 
Justin Bieber and Billie Eilish are like standing in the security area with the crowd around them. So the crowd watch them meet for the first time and hug. And it's all in this documentary. There are several scenes talking about her injuries and her performing in pain, which feels more like a wrestling documentary than a film about a 17-year-old girl who is still a child. But it is brilliant. Please watch it. I really want to, and after that, I definitely will. Yeah, and just to push it even more, it covers over a year of her life. So you see her 17th birthday near the start, and then at some point it's her 18th birthday. So it covers quite a lot. Shall we henceforth with real news? It's the real thing. It is now real, real news, news. An odd one, you might say, to start with. But have you heard, James, that the Oscars 2021, they have said that nominees are told Zoom attendance is not an option. I didn't know this. I've not heard this. So it's it's not a terribly long article, so there's a bit of the detail missing here because I'm not too sure what this means. Does this mean if you don't attend, you're not getting an award? What, what does it mean? It means that it'll be like in the old days where if you're not there, this is, I assume, if you're not there, it's a still image of you on screen when they show the nominees. And you'll be shamed. Yeah. It says Tom Holland for Cherry, and it doesn't cut to him. He's not there. Right. I just think it's a bit early to make this call at the moment. They don't want to see how the next few months pan out and then maybe think, oh, we're not quite out of the woods yet. Let's 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 be safer about this. Or maybe I they're agree. going for less attendees in general and therefore safer with restrictions. Who knows? But there you go. Just thought that was a, a weird one to throw in. It's going to be a historic Oscars in a number of ways. And I suspect that they want to capture it properly. They want to capture those historic awards being given out in the traditional way. They don't want Zoom clips being replayed on the news for these historic wins. Yeah, that sounds more calculated, but is probably bang on the money. So, yeah, makes sense now that you've said that. Um would be interesting, though, if there is just a bit of a boycott, seeing as everyone's got this attitude towards the awards in general, that, you know, it's quite a murky industry and, and there's a lot of buying people off and all that jazz. But I suppose the Oscars, at least, have, have recognised people that they failed to in the past, so maybe people aren't looking at the Oscars in that way. James, what have you got for us in your big bag of news? <laughs> This links to something we've previously talked about, which is speculation about a TV or film show, overwhelming what the actual story is. Spider-Man, No Way Home. I didn't know that was the title until I saw this article. Spider-Man 3. Evidence points to Andrew Garfield action sequence. Andrew Garfield's stunt double posted a video to Instagram showing him on a film set. In the caption, the stuntman tagged Tom Holland's stuntman. And it's since been deleted. And that's been picked up by many places, including thedirect.com, which is where I've seen this, as an indication, without a doubt, that this is Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, multiverse, crossover, introducing the multiverse, Doctor Strange cameo will happen 
all this speculation is happening before we even know what the story is, before the film's even been seen. So if this film doesn't deliver the multiverse, automatic disappointment from the fans. And if there is an ounce of truth in that, I bet that that stunt guy no longer appears in the film. He'll have been sacked for doing that. Yeah. He's deleted the post, so he tried to take it back, but that's not how the internet works. No. You're dead to Hollywood now. You'll never find a job again. That's not me threatening, by the way. That's that's the big cheese. What am I talking about? Well, that was... <laughs> that was actually what was said to a extra on Glee who posted a picture of the final episode, the graduation, like spring ball or whatever episode, and they were told, you'll never work again in this industry for posting that image and spoiling Glee. So it does happen. They do get told, you're out. I mean, that, that's harsh, and I don't want to give Glee any time whatsoever on this podcast, um, really. But if if it was the final episode, I'd be pretty miffed if I was a director. Come on, use your common sense. Don't upload something like that to social media. What the hell are you playing at? I'm glad she got a telling off. Sorry, personal feelings. I shouldn't inject them into this podcast. It's dangerous. Anything else in your sack of news? Very quickly, one bizarre story that I've seen in The Guardian, which is Canadian oil lobbyists attacking a Netflix children's film for anti-oil propaganda. Canadian Energy Centre, funded by the Alberta government, says Bigfoot family brainwashes youngsters and peddles lies. Now, why try and campaign against this film when on Rotten Tomatoes it has zero critics ratings and just over 50 audience score and it sits at 38%. Someone is trying to justify their job by doing this PR campaign. What is the content within the film that's so problematic or does it not say? The criticism of Bigfoot Family, I'm quoting from The Guardian here, the centre's criticism of Bigfoot Family centres on a plot to blow up a valley in Alaska to release its oil. And there's a claim that it villainises energy workers because of that plot. Right, stretching that bit, isn't it? Yeah, and it would have disappeared from the very few people's minds that watched it if they hadn't bothered to go after it. Yeah, but then again, I don't mean to be cynical week in, week out, but you, you don't know who's said, oh, by the way, you know, someone who's worked on the film, we've got a, a plot that you might have a bit of a problem with. Make a bit of a song and dance about this because nobody's watching it. Please kick off. You don't know. So there might be something more manipulative going on. I, ne I never know what to believe anymore. No, neither do I. We've said it before. Well, I've said it before. I don't know what's true. Mm. I do not know what is true. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Zack Snyder's Justice League. So begins the end. For dark time. I've never seen a being this strong. Maybe one. He's back. I spent a lot of time trying to divide us. 
I made a promise to him on his grave. I need to bring us together. There are enemies coming from far away. They serve an old power. This world is divided. No protectors here. No lanterns. No Kryptonium. It will fall in his name. I have turned worlds to dust. All of existence shall be mine. Determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns forces with Diana Prince with plans to recruit a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. First off, James, what what's your background with this DC universe? Have you have you seen them all? Have you seen all the films? I've seen them all, but I've never seen any of them in the cinema. Right. Okay. So I don't I don't care at all, but I have found my way round to watching all of them. But first, sir, uh, your view on it all is not not nothing overly favourable. Yeah, nothing favourable, but nothing negative either. Okay, okay. I was just intrigued. Um, just probably a minor point, not of interest, but I'm interested. How did you consume this, James? How many sittings? Was it one fell swoop of a sitting, or did you consume it in little bite-sized chunks or chapters? Three, Three sittings. What about you? My experience um, mirrored the chapters pretty much. I can't say I bang on turned it off after a chapter had finished, but I probably watched it in about seven sittings. So, kinder, kinder on the mind. What did you think about this? (laughs) The first thing I want to say is that it's rare to see a trilogy from Man of Steel to BVS DOJ to this that is a complete vision for fans of the Snyderverse this must be a special thing to have these three consistent films I'm into action superhero stuff but I'm not a comic expert so I don't care about whether this story in Justice League is accurate to the comics even though it's four hours long it's clear what is going on it takes an outrageously scenic route on a clear and simple road. But really, it's hard to react to the plot when I've already seen it four years ago. It's the same plot. I still think it's the same bog-standard superhero story of an alien invasion and team assembly. And it doesn't solve the central problem of introducing three characters in one film and then doing a team-up in that same film. I did like Cyborg in this one. He's very prominent but I was surprised that I'm watching a Superman Batman Wonder Woman film and Cyborg is taking up so much time Cyborg is not a beloved character for me so it didn't fill me with joy to see him take up so much time to be honest but he was good in it and Ray Fisher is good I liked his half robotic half human voice but what about that length eh this is a study in what would happen if You didn't think about the pacing or staying on track with the story. What if you included everything? Because you can. Does the Flash saving that girl need to be that long? 
How many scenes do we need to establish that Cyborg has father issues? Wonder Woman references Steve Trevor twice. Aquaman is set up, set up, set up again. And then an all-female choir starts singing and they go on for way, way too long. And then it cuts to a montage and they're still singing. Remember that in Infinity War, Thanos acquires two Infinity Stones off-screen. But here we see Steppenwolf do regular catch-ups with his manager about the construction of his base. But it does look cool. Batman's outfit is so cool. I popped when he appeared in the silver armour at the end. Superman's black outfit is cool. It's cool. It's nice to look at. As I was watching it, I was drawn into the epicness of it. It is tiring that it tries to go epic in every scene, but it all looks cool and it manages to give you something good to look at for the whole four hours and it's never boring. All the casts are good and it's a shame they won't do a Justice League 2, 3, 4 or 5. At least Gal Gadot is carrying on as Wonder Woman, but she is better in Wonder Woman 84 than she is in this. She has some weird lines and it seems like she hasn't mastered the dramatic look of concern when they were making this. Despite me making all those comments, I'll say that this film existing is a triumph for the fans, and that's all that matters, it seems. It's a symbol of fan power and a monument to the Snyderverse that could have been. Daniel, what did you think of Zack Snyder's Justice League? You said before you've you've seen the original. I haven't. And I was only asking that because I've seen Batman v Superman. I've seen the Wonder Woman films, and I think that's it. So... Because of that, the first 15 minutes of this film, I had absolutely no idea what was going on at all. I've forgotten all of Batman v Superman, and for very good reason. I don't remember a frame of it, not a line, nothing. So during that 15 minutes, I also started getting this regrettable feeling of, of deja vu. And by that, I mean I'm sat watching yet another Zack Snyder film, and... I can't stand the way in which he shoots films. Although there is colour, the majority of it feels like it's been heavily diluted. It's as if you're making a Ribena and you've put one part Ribena, 15 parts water. It's a very dark film. And almost every scene from memory has this sort of soft focus in the background, so you rarely get a full idea of, of people's surroundings. And nothing feels very real. I'm not saying that he doesn't capture some pretty breathtaking shots of these superheroes, because he, he does. But it would make a far more interesting art exhibition than a film. Or maybe just make comic books. Because I just fundamentally dislike this whole aesthetic that Snyder brings, and I always have it. The only film that I've ever liked of his is Dawn of the Dead. So that should tell you what you need to know. Because I don't think he does any of that in that film. Anyway, after a while, I accepted that I had three and a half hours ahead of me and I thought, I can't have this mindset the whole way through. So the whole just knowledge of that broke me and I thought, no, I'll, I'll give it a chance. So I did. And once it gets into the groove of the story, I found, much to my surprise, that I was enjoying it. Again, I had to brush aside certain things I didn't quite understand, and there was a lot of that. 
So I've no idea who the villain is. I, I'm assuming I probably should know because I've seen Batman v Superman. Was he summoned by Lex Luthor in the previous film? I think they showed that at the beginning, maybe. Is that what happened? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think Lex Luthor has a vision of the mother boxes, but Steppenwolf isn't in any other film besides this. Right. Didn't even know it was called Steppenwolf. It probably does say that in the film, but again, just did not care about that level of detail. Despite all that, the first two and a half hours, the opening 15 minutes aside, it kind of works on its own. You don't need to have put yourself through the pain and suffering of every other film uh, to understand fully what's going on. It's a very, as you said, nuts and bolts story. Bad guy, after bad thing, good guys, join forces, thwart evil plan. That's about it. And alongside the basic plot, the first half hour is obviously about the first half, sorry, is about Batman rallying up the troops and forming the Justice League. The introduction to the characters is well done. I did actually really like Barry Allen as the Flash and the whole slow-mo action scene. I do understand where you're coming from. Was it really necessary for it to go on that long? But I liked that manipulating time and space and there being this funky music in the background. It looked good. I liked it. You said something that I uh, forgot to pick up on. The Flash's powers were cool, I thought, because he's not just fast. It's like he steps into a different time stream, which I think he kind of explains. He exists in a different time almost, and I think that was really well established in that scene with the girl in the car, which did go on for too long, but I did think it was very cool. Again, I'm with you. Cyborg, as a character, he's got quite an interesting arc, and I'm led to believe that Whedon ripped that out of his cup. Don't know how much of that existed, but it works. And it is a bit odd because, like you said, it's probably one of the strongest things. And for a character that I don't really have any feeling towards, that surprised me. But, and I'm trying to keep this short because we've probably got a lot to dissect. But throughout the entire film, I'm sat there thinking, is there something I'm missing by not watching these other films? Am I not privy to some sort of key information that's going to make all this fall into place. And I already know, or I can say with quite a bit of confidence, that there's not, I don't have to watch those films. They've not earned this. It's got this weird false confidence to it where it thinks these characters are already established and you know their origin and all the things that have taken place in the past. And maybe there is some of that in the other films. But Aquaman, for example, I think I mentioned it to you when we've had a chat before we were recording. He is introduced, and I thought, oh, yeah, some elements won't make sense to me because I haven't seen the film. But that came out afterwards, so that doesn't make any sense. (sighs) Anyway, some of the set pieces in this film, the action, it's all right, but it is a bit relentless. But I can't shake that all that kept coming to my mind was... This is reasonably entertaining, but what an absolute shit show this whole exercise has been. I'm not saying anything profound there. It's a popular opinion, but they've got several TV shows, one of which has a character from this film in it. It's not connected in any way. I'm talking about The Flash. Similarly, shows like Batwoman and Titans, not connected. The latest Superman and Lois series that's yet to come to the UK Again, different actors not connected. The Joker, 
the film that's been released less than 18 months ago, in no way, shape or form connected to this universe. And it's just a mess that annoys me. The biggest thing that insults me with this film is it takes two characters which are so iconic in Superman and Batman and they're the least interesting thing about the Justice League. How have they even done that? I don't mind four-hour films. My favourite film of all time is Lawrence of Arabia. It's three hours and 45 minutes. All the three-hour and 45-minute films include Dances with Wolves, Gone with the Wind and Ben-Hur. Those are good films. Those are great films. Those are classics. Lawrence of Arabia is a masterpiece. This is good, but taken as a film that you have to sit through, it's scene after scene without much build. The scenes aren't building on each other. And that's something that really gets my goat and grinds my gears and does my head in. That there's no flow to it. It's all this is happening we're getting some explanation. Stop everything. Let's just introduce the Flash. Or you're having a conversation between Wonder Woman and Batman. And Wonder Woman says, stop everything. Let me narrate a 15-minute flashback. Which is visually identical to the other scene, the other Themyscira scene where Steppenwolf um, gets the mother box. Let's introduce Zeus and Green Lanterns and we'll go full epic in this flashback. It's a flashback. Just give me the information. And I forgot that it was a flashback and it cuts back to Diana and Bruce. And I was like, oh yeah, this the rest of the film is happening. Sorry, you're right, yeah. What are we talking about? That's what I felt like. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings extended editions and you've listened to the director's commentary on the extended editions as I have, they explain why they cut certain scenes. And one good comparable example is that in the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, the theatrical version, has no Boromir in Gondor flashback. It's just Faramir looking sad, and then he goes and beats up Gollum. In the extended edition, Faramir has a flashback to Boromir in full silver Gondorian armour taking back Osgiliath. It's an epic scene that goes on for ages. And in the director's commentary, they explain, this scene just stopped the story. It stops the story dead. Even though it's epic, we had to get rid of it. And that's what about an hour of this film is. It stops dead. And you, it's cool and it's epic to look at, but it keeps stopping its own story dead to introduce more stuff before it goes, okay, now we can now we can go and attack him now that we've put everything in place for two hours. It is interesting because you've obviously got the, the other film, the original film to compare it to and, and can pick up on the pacing and how it compares to that. But I personally, for all the things that I've just slagged it off for, I'm not saying there isn't a scene that should not be in there. There definitely is. But it didn't feel unnecessarily bloated for me. But I can understand where you're coming from because it does take a long time to make its point, really. And you you can just start to question how valuable some of those scenes actually are. But it wasn't something that occurred to me at the time because it is so frantic with action scene, action scene, action scene, something else to introduce, action scene, something else, action scene. I wouldn't say that I feel negatively about how it's bloated and long. I just want to point out that it is kind of an experiment in let's just not be bothered about pacing. Mm. And that's not a bad thing. It makes it more interesting to watch. It makes it more of a pure vision. What would happen if someone had the option of including everything? 
Maybe maybe he has in some sense been ruthless because you never know. There might be about eight hours left on the cutting room floor that he hasn't put in. But I think you're right. I don't think that's true. He's shoved in as much as he possibly can. Fan service, isn't it? I suppose at the end of the day, give the people more. Yes, it is. And there's a lot of pausing and they pause in slow motion. And then there's a second angle of them pausing in slow motion. And then someone reacts to them pausing. And then it cuts back and they're still pausing. It might be one to bring up in spoilers, but I'm just curious, are you in agreement that this is probably the worst representation of characters like Batman and Superman? And would you agree with what I said in terms of them being the least interesting aspect of this film? Yes, I agree. Again, I'm not a huge comic book fan. I've read a few of DC comics, mainly Batman. But yes, something isn't quite right with the depiction of the characters. Batman holding an assault rifle just doesn't feel right. That would be like Obi-Wan Kenobi having a rocket launcher. (laughs) It doesn't quite fit. I understand that in this one, Superman is in a weird place. He's just come back from death. But it fits with the other two films where Superman's just a bit glum and not very heroic or hopeful, which is how I understand the character, mainly from the classic 1990s Lewis and Clark TV series with... Terry Hatcher. Yes, with Terry Hatcher. And good old Dean Cain, whose career is still going through the roof, strength to strength year after year. Yeah, still going strong. And even Wonder Woman, you can see that in Wonder Woman 1984, Gal Gadot is more assured in the role and she winks at other people and has a bit of fun. But in this, she's doing serious looks all the time. And it's almost as though Zack Snyder doesn't know what to do with her. Just look dramatic. And like you said, I know this is a really minor thing, but she has a red and gold and blue costume that is brown in this film. (laughs) It is really annoying. They've just grayscaled everything. Yeah. Just to pull back from the brink, I do feel positive overall, to be honest. I did enjoy it. I did, but at the same time, like I said, I feel dumbfounded because... This feels like a perfectly reasonable end to a story that should have been told, a la Marvel, over maybe a decade. It feels as though if this was the film at the end of it all, some things aside, such as the depiction of Batman and Superman, I'd have been quite happy. But like I said before, it just does not feel as though they did the legwork to get to this point, and that's my problem. I'm not invested because you've messed this up so much. Just because I thought this was reasonably entertaining, I don't feel as though I should be more positive than I need to be, basically, is what I'm trying to say. I agree. Like I said, there's the central problem that Zack Snyder was asked to solve of catch up with Marvel now, catch up right now, and introduce all these characters and do the team up in one film. And making it four hours, making it five hours doesn't make it any easier of a problem to solve, I think. And what's more frustrating for me as well is if if it was more cohesive in terms of the vision, so some of these TV programs that I've spoke about that don't connect into this film, 
Yes, they didn't have the luxury of building this up over a series of cinematic films, but you could have got here using the medium of TV. And what's irritating about that is some of these are really well-regarded shows, like the new Superman and Lois show. It's coming out to rave reviews. It's got great ratings. People say it's awesome. Same thing with Titans. I watched some of that. It's quite dark in tone. Very not Marvel-esque in how far that goes with violence and stuff like that. But it's interesting. It's a different take. And again, well-received. But they just, there isn't that cohesive vision. And that's why we've arrived at where we're at today. But they can have another stab and then they can get it wrong again. And then they can do it all over again in five years' time. It's fine. They've got the license for this sort of stuff. So it's not a problem, is it? They'll just keep trying. They will. I'm interested to see now. What happens? There's another element to this that I've, I've hinted at a little bit, which is that the film exists and it's such a triumph that it doesn't even matter what you say about it. I've seen popular Instagram accounts that give very fair, well-balanced reviews say negative things about Justice League and they get hammered by people saying, this is Zack Snyder's vision. It's a masterpiece. We're finally getting what we want. Joss Whedon's cut was awful, and now this is a triumph for the fans. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse. It's held up in a different place. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it's a sacred text. <laughs> do you have any other general points before we go into spoilers? We mentioned it before, but I just want to ensure that I've not missed anything. So in terms of just slotting characters in, just accept it. You know, we don't have to do the groundwork. Aquaman hates Atlanteans. That's mentioned in the film. Why? Is that? Is there any evidence to that or explanation? Or do we just go, oh, yeah, it's Atlanteans. Fair enough. I'm assuming it makes sense in Aquaman, but am I supposed to understand this with any more depth in this film? I don't think so, no. And actually, I've not even seen Aquaman, so I don't know the answer to that either. And they do bring in Amber Heard, Willem Dafoe. Who are these people? What are their powers? Where are they? What does the fall of the Atlanteans mean? I'm glad it's not just me then. That's why I was so confused with the Aquaman must have come first because, it, like you said, Amber Heard is there. I don't know what relation she has to Aquaman. I don't know what their dynamic is. Yeah. Amber Heard and Aquaman had a lengthy court case involving the Daily Planet. That's their background. <laughs> Daniel, would you recommend Zack Snyder's Justice League 2021? I keep going down this route of offering a hazy opinion and saying, yes, if this, and no, if this, but I'm going to do it again. If you watched Justice League and you thought it was terrible, but you're sort of invested in this universe, give this a go. I haven't seen the original, but everyone's saying this is better. So what have you got to lose? You'll probably come away with a lot more of a favourable opinion than you did the original. If you have expressed no interest in this whatsoever, watch it. I think you'll be mildly entertained, but I'm not going to say you have to go and seek this out. It is a must watch. I suppose in essence, what I'm saying is I don't really know. James, what about you? Yes, I would recommend Zack Snyder's Justice League. Understand that it's split in seven parts, so you can watch it in chunks. 
All the actors are good. The CGI looks cool. The fights are cool. There's some very good use of the powers with the Flash and Cyborg. It is a lot of fun. We've enjoyed talking about it mostly negatively, but yes, I would recommend it. Spoilers. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. In the end fight, they use each person's powers in a really cool way. Not everyone. But Cyborg does his thing and the Flash needs to charge up the electricity to run really fast. And when he uses his power to turn back time, I had no idea that was coming. And I thought, this is awesome. This is really cool. They're using the Flash's powers. That was good. I liked that a lot. That being the scene where Wonder Woman eventually cuts off the baddie's head. Is that the one? Yes. Yeah. It was nice that I didn't I didn't see her going that far with the violence, but I suppose needs must. You know. Had to end him. Violence was permitted on that occasion. Did you notice the music that comes on every time Wonder Woman does everything? It's become a bit of a meme. The think so not prominently but i think i thought oh this yeah this keeps cropping up something that i was disappointed with and this goes completely against saying how much time the film was superman didn't have a lot of screen time the trailers show him in a black outfit and that made me think there's a newly restored story there's loads of black superman stuff that's going to be in this film but there isn't he's pretty much the same as what he is in the justice league where he is revived, has a fight in the daytime, has a chat with Lewis Lane, maybe has a second small chat and then turns up at the end. Interesting. I didn't like that whole story arc, if I'm honest, when he comes back and because he's a bit confused, because he wouldn't be after a long slumber, he wants to kill people. And the only thing that brings him down to earth is the sight of Lewis Lane. But they, again, cheesy dialogue. They have to mention that. I think Wonder Woman says, oh, he's, it's not this exactly, but he's starting to remember who he is because he's seen Lois Lane. And then somebody else interjects and says, the woman that he loves. Okay, right, I get it. You did not need to spoon feed me that. It, it started getting a bit more problematic as the film went on in terms of the dialogue. The, the closer we got to the end, the more that I thought, this is very, very cheesy, this. Another maybe smaller example of that with the dialogue explaining things, you know when Batman uses his gauntlets to absorb the energy from Superman? No. When Superman comes back to life and he fights them topless, we get that the gauntlets have worked, it's absorbed the energy, but I'm sure Batman has a line as well to say, oh, it worked, it absorbed the energy. The gauntlets that I was making earlier in the film, it worked. You didn't need to explain that's what happened. We can see, we are watching it. We can see that the gauntlets absorbed the energy. Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman's mum, goes to Lois's apartment. They have a conversation. She exits and morphs into some being we'll later find out, or maybe we should anyway, I didn't, is somebody who's gone by many names, but the Martian Manhunter. What's going on there, James? Is somebody pretending to be Clark Kent's mum? 
was that just them using her image for that? I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I'm not sure either. What I suspect happened is that when that scene was originally conceived, it was Clark Kent's mum, but they've added in her morphing into Martian Manhunter because they wanted him in the film somewhere. And they thought that was a nice scene with Lewis Lane and Martha Kent. Let's ruin it by saying that it's not actually Martha Kent because we need to insert Martian Manhunter. That's what it seems like to me. I had no idea he was going to turn up. And when he morphed into his true form and it has the red X, I thought, that's Martian Manhunter. So there's going to be a whole series of deleted scenes in a storyline with Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter is going to be in the final fight. Nope. He was in one more scene at the end. What was the point? Shall we get to that bit now with the epilogue? Because that's where I feel I need to lean on you, my good friend, to provide me with hopefully a bit more explanation as to what that in hell is going on. Yes, you're referring, of course, to the nightmare spelt with a K. <laughs> Clever. See what they did there. For me, just to summarise, why... And I'm assuming this isn't in the original film because I've heard as such, but I don't know whether any bits of it were at all. Why tease a story that I don't understand and I'm not likely to see the outcome of ever? Why do that? Self-indulgence, that's why. Completely self-indulgent. And I don't know how much of that was filmed in 2017. Obviously, Jared Leto has been inserted in. But to go to the effort of filming this stuff that has nothing to do with the story, is it a campaign to try to get more films made? Because I understand that the plan was to have The Nightmare as the second Justice League film. And that what's happened there is that Darkseid has come to Earth. He has the anti-life equation. He's used that to get control of Superman, who is killing everyone. And I understand that was the plan for the second Justice League film. Again, the fans love it. And it doesn't matter that it obliterates the pacing of this four-hour film. That's completely irrelevant. They filmed it. People want to see it, so just stick it on the end. Because seeing Batman in the brown trench coat is cool. The Flash looks cool in his enhanced Iron Man suit yeah but I don't I'm sorry I don't care for it I don't care for the nightmare stuff and Jared Leto's speech goes on for so long yeah big sticking point for me because I did not know what was going on Lex Luthor escapes from Arkham Asylum gets on board a very nice yacht and random guy who I thought was Deadpool until I realised hang on that's Marvel <laughs> not DC, turns up on his boat. Lex Luthor says, oh, Batman, it's Bruce Wayne. And he's like, cheers for that. I'll have a glass of champagne. And then he appears alongside other members of the Justice League, seemingly as an ally. But I don't know what's, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know what's going on there. Is has someone infiltrated the Justice League there? I, I just had no clue what was going on. He's Deathstroke. He's an assassin. Again, it was setting up for a Batman film. 
with Ben Affleck that's never going to happen. But we'll put it in. And what I'm guessing that's happened story-wise in between these two scenes is that Deathstroke has decided, I will team up with the Justice League instead to save the Earth for the greater good. Right. Don't care. Even now I know. Left a rotten taste in my mouth, that epilogue bit. If they'd have done away with that, I would have thought, do you know what? I'll give this a pass. But yeah, wasn't wasn't a fan of that bit. Yeah, I was I was waiting for it to end. When Jared Leto was speaking, I was just wanting him to wrap it up. Let's just wrap it up. Speaking of, do you want to needlessly buffer this podcast out with any more content? Or shall we draw it to a close there? I think what we should do, we should read out every single word that we've written down in our notes, regardless of whether it turns into a cohesive conversation or not. Okay, do you want to begin? <laughs> no, it's fine. No, we'll do. We'll come. We'll come back in a few years, and uh, that's this. No, we've, we've made the point. Made the point. No, I think you're onto something there. Maybe we do go back and re-release this podcast in a few years, but we'll just add some more bits in for the sake of it. Once we've had numerous years to digest what we've just seen, I know we've recommend we've recommended it. I've recommended it. I think it's really good that this film exists and I'm happy for the fans, the Zack Snyder DC Universe fans. It's a really positive thing and it's good. That being said, hashtag restore the Snyderverse just annoys me because you've done hashtag release the Snyder Cut. That went on for years and Zack Snyder's Justice League was released because they already had it more or less finished in the bin. They just had to get it out of the bin, do some resuits, which did cost $60 million, and then put it on HBO Max. So what's happened here is that HBO Max has released a full blockbuster film on HBO Max for a relatively small amount of money. HBO Max have taken advantage of the situation, and that's what released the Snyder Cut was. Restore the Snyderverse, you're asking them to go on and invest what, $600 million in three more films. That's a completely different thing. And it annoys me that this new hashtag has come out. You've got what you wanted. Just take the victory. Yeah. Now we're going to have to deal with Restore the Snyderverse articles for years. It's basically trying to resurrect a dead dog, isn't it? Because this is an okay film, but let's leave it there. All goodwill aside... This whole thing was an absolute epic failure. Leave it in the dirt. <laughs> James, what are we reviewing next week? Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, so from a failed franchise to a floundering one. That'll be interesting. It will. I'm looking forward to it. I've not seen Kong Skull Island or... Gods are the King of the Monsters, so this could be a difficult one for me to watch. I haven't seen King of the Monsters because I heard bad things, but Skull Island, watch it. It's quite fun. Quite a good film from memory. Anyway, don't hold me to that. Okay. I don't know how to wrap up. No 30-minute epilogue. This is really the end. See you next week. Oh,